0: Today's
1: episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy
0: session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of
1: other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook
0: group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And if you're curious about doing an on-air coaching call yourself and sharing your story with my podcast audience, I currently offer those opportunities to patrons of the podcast. To find out more about becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P-A-T-R-O-N, patron. In fact, I'd love for you to go do that right now, pause this, and when you come back, we'll jump into today's conversation. Let's start with a really brief
1: introduction and share what you're hoping to get out of our session today.
2: Okay. So uh, my name is Paige and I am a yoga teacher in Calgary. Uh, I am just about to finish university. I've been in school for uh, six years. I did my yoga teacher training halfway through and realized that that is where my passion was. And so the last three years have been really gruesome. Uh, And now I'm just starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm really eager to start looking ahead of what I really want in my life and my career. Um, And so I'm hoping today to maybe get a little more hope (laughs) for my future uh, in this path. What did you study at university? anthropology and international relations with a minor in religious studies. Okay.
1: And in your minor in religious studies, did you have a focus?
2: Uh, It was super general. um, But I was able to take a couple of classes uh, with a prof, just like one-on-one. And I did one semester studying yoga and Ayurveda and how they kind of fit together and then I spent another semester studying the eight limbs of yoga so that has been really cool to bring in uh, to my academic career. Great Yeah. and
1: if you relax and envision what you want out of your life right now I mean you're I think you're young you know things will change but
2: what do you what do you hope to create with your life? So in terms of Like my general life, I'm really wanting to uh, have children and be able to have a a schedule that will allow me to stay at home with my future children (laughs) um, and uh, like really cook a lot, take care of myself, live a very natural life um, with my family. And then, in terms of career, I'm hoping that that's where like yoga can really allow me to um, have that time and space for that personal. Uh, goal, Um, with um, an end goal being to run yoga teacher trainings. That's like my be all end all goal uh, with teaching. But along the way, I'd love to uh, do retreats. I'd love to uh, do more workshops and just explore what else there is on this path. So do
1: you currently have a partner or a person that you are planning to have children with?
2: Yes, I do. Yeah, we've been together a couple years. Uh, We've been friends for a very long time, and we definitely talk about this. He's in school as well, Uh, so we just need to get school out of the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, school is a big, big commitment for sure. So he's in school. Does he have kind of his own
2: career track that he's thinking about? Yes, he's uh, doing his master's in architecture right now, and he eventually wants to be a professor in that, so
1: yeah. So one of the things about being a professor is that you can't really choose where you live. You got to go where the jobs are.
2: Yes. <laughs> I don't
1: know how much of the world, like the academic world, that he has looked into. Um, but my my dad is a professor, so I'm pretty familiar with um, publisher parish and. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And there's, yeah, there, you know, I have, for example, I have a friend who ended up in Tasmania, literally. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, so there's no guarantee. It sounds like that you guys are going to stay in Calgary.
2: Yeah, that's very likely, I think. yeah Okay.
1: How do you feel about teaching online versus teaching in person?
2: Uh, I think that, it is something I really do want to explore. Um, I have fear or concern around that. Um, just like the world that we live in where social media is so big and you know, it's so easy to get lost in everything that's offered. Um, like the classes that I do teach now, I have phenomenal relationships with my students and I, uh, When it comes to considering uh, going online, um, I just don't know how you would be able to build those same relationships with the people that you're practicing with.
1: Yeah. No, I don't think you can. I don't think it's the same. I think it's different. Yeah. The only, you know, exception to that is if you do privates online, you can probably still build a pretty deep relationship.
2: I don't think I realized that that was really a thing, a private session online. Really a thing okay it Really is, <laughs> yeah
1: using zoom like you and i are doing right now yeah and you know you you have to set it up so that they can see you and you can see them and i don't do them private i don't do asana privates online i do private coaching calls right so that's why i think like a one-on-one online can be very intimate like when i teach a group online class it's it's very different from teaching a group in person class like I don't I can't read the room I can't look at the body language of everybody and see kind of what the general sense is of how people are doing but one-on-one I can I can look at one person at a time so the people that I work with coaching in an ongoing way, we have really close relationships. Like because I work alone from home, I don't, I don't have a workplace that I go to, you know, the, so the people that I work with are like, I see them more frequently than I see my friends.
2: Right. <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs>
1: um, so that that is a thing and it would be worth looking into and thinking about. Building a business online is different than building a business in person. And like you have kind of alluded to building a business in person is very much about in-person relationships and networking and word of mouth and who you know and where you are, what your network is, what your connections are Uh, building a business online is about providing value in a way that reaches a certain type of person and basically building an audience like that's pretty essential building an audience is pretty essential to successfully having an online business you know when you think about teacher trainings there's a few different ways that that business model can work one is that you have access to local students, say at a studio, usually you'll teach a teacher training at a studio. And out of the general studio population, let's say you have about 10,000 people who attend classes at that studio. And every year, you know, a certain percentage of them will sign up for a teacher training. And you'll get you know could be 10 15 30 people in in a training and that's a pretty you know if you if you're getting 30 people in a teacher training that's a pretty viable business model but it it requires being connected to a studio and usually a studio is going to want to take the bulk of that profit so if you wanted to run your teacher training like you'd probably have to run the studio first. Mm. I'm not saying that's the only way. There are yoga teachers who either have agreements with studios. Maybe the studio owner doesn't feel like they have the expertise to run the teacher training and they want to bring somebody else in or they just, you know, there's, there's studios that are run by people who it's more like a hobby and, and they don't really want to put the effort in. They do want to offer a teacher training, but they don't want to take the time to create the curriculum and offer it. Or if you become quite well-known in your local community, then you could rent a space and offer a teacher training. But the thing is that you need to have a big enough audience, whether the audience is in person or online, so that a percentage of those people sign up for the training. Because not everybody... And not a huge percentage is ever going to sign up for your teacher training, right? As an individual teacher teaching classes, if you taught, let's say, 10 classes per week with 20 students per class, and even if every single one of those students were different, like nobody overlapped in the classes, you're still only seeing 200 people per week, right? Mm-hmm. So an audience of 200, to get 30 of those into teacher training, that's like 15%, right? I'm not a math person, but I think I got that right. That's really high. Online, I don't know too much about the in-person numbers of this, but online, you you want to expect 1% to 2% of your audience to sign up for anything that you offer. Now, I think it is more in-person, but 1% to 2% of 200 would only be like two people that's right. (laughs) That's not enough to run a teacher training. This is a reality that many yoga teachers don't really acknowledge or they just like who, who, who thinks this way? Like not many yoga teachers think this way. Let me put it that way. And so a lot of people struggle with their yoga business, whether it's online or in person, because their expectations are not in line with reality as far as conversions go. For example, I had somebody that I was working with who had an audience of about 500. And she was like, I'm not getting people signing up for my, my things. I don't get it. I don't understand. I was like, well, how many people signed up? Well, I got about 30 out of 500. That's amazing. That's great. (laughs) All you need, like if your business model is counting on more than 2% of your audience signing up, then that's not a good business model. Right, that's not a realistic business model. So when you create the prices, when you create the offerings, when you um, focus, figure out where to focus. You need to understand that only a small percentage of the people who are exposed to what you offer are ever going to end up signing up for it. This is this holds true in person. Holds true online. So let's let's look at that a yoga studio with ten thousand people on their email list if 2% now okay so if 2% of those people signed up for a training that would be 200. Now that's too big. We don't want a training with that many people. And most yoga studios that offer trainings even with an email list of 10,000 are not going to get that many. They're they're going to get like a quarter of that at the most. So that's like a quarter that's a half a percent, right? So now we have a little bit of a more realistic picture of what it would take to have a, a business running teacher trainings, you want to and and so now we know too that maybe if you had a list of five thousand, you could probably run a training, right? Yeah. Okay. You get one percent of your people or half a percent, half a percent to one percent of your people per training. Also, right? Not that's not necessarily over over time, right? There's a season that some, at one point it might work for one person and then not work at another time. So if you look towards wanting to run teacher trainings, wanting to run retreats, wanting to run workshops, one of the things that you mentioned is, okay, how do I move from teaching in studios to teaching independent events? It's the same thing. You have to have an audience. You have to have a group of people who follow you. Some of them will follow you closely. Some of them will follow you tangentially, but the aggregate of everyone who follows you is your pool of people who will potentially sign up for something. Sometimes they sign up for it because they're following you closely and they'll sign up for anything that you do. Sometimes it's because they're following you tangentially and what you offer just happens to fit in exactly with what they want and the timing works for them or whatever, but you need that pool. That's your audience. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's different whether you're creating it locally in person or whether you're creating it online globally. Your approach is going to be different. The content is going to be different. The way that you get new people on your list is going to be different. So that's a big decisions to make decision to make. And because you're, you know, you're relatively new into this, you're you've been teaching three years, you're not ready to teach teacher trainings yet, but you're thinking ahead, which is great. It's okay if you invest in a local list for the time being and learn a bit about how this business works and learn a bit about how to grow a list. Because once you've done it once, you'll be able to be more effective if you decide to pivot and do it online.
2: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So everything you're saying about the teacher training makes sense. And I think that's a really smart way of looking at it. So when it comes to the retreat, like I, I like I just consider if I were to... Cons- Uh, If I were to consider to go on a retreat, that's a big investment. That's time away from work, away from family. That's like the the monetary cost of it. Um, And I just, I don't understand how, how I would ever get people to do that. But I have regular students that come to my classes. Like I said, I have these good relationships. But when I think about that, I kind of, not that I doubt my abilities, I just doubt the reality of building that like to me a teacher training makes more sense because people are going to really get something out of that and they can you know choose to teach or uh, invest in their own practice do you ever go on vacation yes (laughs) that's what a retreat is
1: it's a way of going on vacation and there are people who pay it but it's a very specific type of person It's a person who has disposable income and has the value system that to them going someplace and focusing on their health and focusing on their personal growth is more important than saving money or more important than having a a different type of adventure, let's say. So this is where niche comes into play, Mm
2: -hmm. knowing
1: who you're trying to attract. And I think you're right that an audience that you would build in the intention of having a retreat business might be different than the way that you would build an audience for a teacher training business. Because I've noticed the same thing. People really can justify the teacher training, even if they never end up teaching. There's something about getting that certificate that psychologically justifies spending the money.
2: And so from a teacher perspective, like when I think of creating a retreat, I would, I'm assuming I would have to invest a lot in order to You know, find a space, reserve a space, book my own flights there, make sure that there's the food and the accommodation and everything. How do you, as a teacher, invest in that before you know who's signing up?
1: Well, first of all, there's retreat centers that take care of a lot of the details. And usually you would give them a deposit, but not necessarily the whole thing. And what I would advise is to have an early bird discount with a cutoff, Maybe even a cutoff that is early enough that you won't have your plane tickets booked yet and you have a goal of you need to have a certain number of people signed up by that cutoff. Otherwise, you're not going to do the retreat. There may also be some kind of travel insurance that you could purchase. Like if you buy the tickets and travel insurance, you definitely want to look into the fine print of the travel insurance. But knowing that you're booking those tickets for a retreat, that you could get a refund if the retreat doesn't go.
2: And this might be a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So, you know, like when you're planning, like as a yoga teacher, you go to yoga classes, right? You practice, you learn. You want to go to workshops to understand what that's about so that you can build your own, right? Right retreats, I would assume would be the same kind of thing. You know, you go to a retreat, know what it's about, and then build a retreat. Is is like, is that the correct path? Or could you ever uh, create a retreat without going on a retreat?
1: You could. You don't know what you don't know. And you're mm-hmm. going to have a much bigger learning curve if you've never been on a retreat. Mm-hmm. You might go on a retreat and be like, this was awesome, but I don't want to do this. You know, like you can actually save yourself a lot of... <gasps> effort by checking it out first.
2: Mm-hmm. And this might be my student, like my university student mind speaking, but you know, drop, uh, teaching drop-in classes. And even with the odd workshop here and there, it's not a lot of income. So when I look at investing in this kind of thing, it's just like a big, a big fear because that's a lot, like that's a lot of Um, investment monetary investment when I don't have that in the first place Mm -hmm. and like sure that may or may not change once I am done school um, because I already am teaching on average about 10 classes a week sometimes a little bit more so I I guess my point with that is it's just hard to wrap my mind around spending a lot of money to do these things to prepare for the things that may or may not Bring me that reward or that. Totally,
1: seat.
2: yeah, yeah. But it's necessary. <laughs> is running a retreat necessary? I, I guess not.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's not the most. If you want a reliable source of income, become a, an accountant. <laughs> Seriously, yeah,
2: like, no, for sure. <laughs> and
1: and running retreats is like it is a risky business model especially if you've never done it before i have clients who do it and make decent money doing it but if you look at how much they cost and how how much work they are and how much the teacher walks away with it's not easy money mm-hmm. you know it's more work than you could possibly imagine without having done it mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, when you look at your paycheck, you're not going to be like, score! That was, you know, like, that was amazing. I just showed up and taught my yoga in a glamorous environment and I got paid tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, most of the money goes to the retreat center, usually. And it comes back to having an audience again, because the economics of it, the numbers start making more sense the more people you have on the retreat. And So when you're first starting out and your audience is smaller, if you were to do a retreat with five people, you might just barely break even. 10 people, you're probably like, it's probably looks worthwhile. 20 people, now you're starting to talk. But to get 20 people to sign up for a retreat, that requires a pretty big audience.
2: So if we were to just take a step back to where I am right now, which is teaching these drop-in classes, pretty steady, really good relationships with the owners, with the students. Um, And I'm starting to dabble a little bit more as I'm coming out of school with workshops. How do I start off with planning the content for yoga teacher training or planning a theme or the content around a retreat or even the workshops? Like, How do I take those steps from what I utilize in my classes or the knowledge that I have where I am right here right now? to move forward
1: with this? Well, let's start with something smaller than a teacher training. Kay. Because a teacher training is like, you should be a master teacher distilling your method in a way that newer people can understand. Mm-hmm. So that's really big. But to kind of bring it down to a more manageable project, you take a workshop, you think of your target audience. Who do you want to help? What do they struggle with? Or what are their goals that you can help with? choose somewhere between three and five learning outcomes, three and five experiences or ideas that you can communicate within the workshop and then divide up the time between those learning outcomes and decide how you're going to share or impart that information. Does that make sense? It definitely does. That makes it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely easier doing it that way then the other way around, which is what a lot of people do, is they think inside their own head, what do I want to share? Which is too big and too broad. And so already right there, people have a hard time, you know, teachers have a hard time narrowing down what they're going to cover in their workshop when they start from the inside of what do I want to share versus what do these people need to hear?
2: Yeah. It's really interesting because uh, recently I've had two students of mine two different studios come up to me and ask about setting intentions and what that means when the yoga teacher says set your intention and i haven't really thought of it before it's just you know i step on my mat i set my intention and i practice but i think that that's a really interesting an interesting thing that is coming up because that is a clear it's a clear thing that people are confused by And I can see that that would be perhaps a workshop that I could put together to bring that knowledge to them, which is the first time it's been so clear like that. And I'm very excited because I'm like, yeah, okay, let's plan this workshop because I absolutely have knowledge to share instead of exactly what you just said the other way around where I've been like, okay, I'm going to teach all of these things in this workshop and it's not going to be very good because I have so much that I want to share and that's not the general population that... Is going to appreciate that or want that.
1: Yeah, and it's gonna be hard to attract people to a workshop that's all over the place because it's gonna be hard for people to opt in and be like, yeah, that's me, or no, that's not me.
2: Mm -hmm. What do you think about um, registered series or registered like a, a series of workshops? For example, like the eight limbs of yoga, and put those into, let's say, five workshops.
1: I I think it's great. Are your students asking for workshops on, for for teachings on the eight limbs? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. I see where, I see where you're going with this. Now that's not to say that you can't incorporate teachings on the eight limbs into a series, but you got to start with something that people are interested in asking for. And sometimes they are interested in asking for something that you recognize has a correlation in yoga philosophy, and then you can bring that into the workshop, but that's not how you're marketing it because you got to market it around what they're asking for, what they know they want, promote what they know, what you know they want, and then you give them what you know they need. I
2: love it. This is so much clarity. (laughs) And so another thing that I would really like to play around with And why I invested in this microphone is because I would eventually like to do a podcast. And I'm familiar with your discussions of finding your niche. And I've been really trying to consider what my niche is. And I feel like I've, in in my classes or the opportunities I say yes to, they are a little more defined by what I feel is more authentic in my teaching rather than just trying everything out because it's an opportunity. But do you have any advice on a podcast and how to create a vision for that? Because there's so many podcasts out there. And I know that me as an individual, that I have a unique perspective, but I don't know what it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can share what worked for me. And it does start with having at least some sense of who you want the podcast to be for what i did is i had 100 conversations with yoga teachers so i basically i did market research and I was through one those conversations actually were you yeah <laughs> at yep. the time they were on the phone they weren't on zoom so i didn't yeah. see yeah, people yeah, yeah. right <laughs> that's awesome yeah so i had 100 conversations with yoga teachers and i just paid attention to the patterns what people were asking for and i still do that But the project of 100 Conversations, the project of 100 Conversations was the kickstart for this. It was like, I need to focus on this intensively for a while, and then I will continue listening to what yoga teachers are telling me in an ongoing basis once I have aggregated a certain amount of knowledge and sense of what they're looking for, what they want. So, I mean, as much as humanly possible, I am creating content based on what people are asking for. So in a way, it's exactly the same as the workshops and the series classes. I'm basically telling you the same thing. Figure out who you want to help, figure out who you want to serve, who the podcast is for, and then talk to a lot of them and listen to what they're asking for and listen to what themes come up over and over.
2: And then when I do find that direction to go in, how do I actually go about starting it? because I've got the microphone, I've got the computer. I know there's um, a bunch of like apps or free programs that you can use. How does one actually go about putting together a podcast and putting that forth into the world? Or even um, a smaller goal of mine is online uh, meditations, just little recordings uh, and to put up onto my website or uh, Spotify, whatever is accessible. Well,
1: as you can imagine, there's lots of different ways to do it, but the basics are that you need a podcast host. So you need a computer that is going to actually hold the audio file and push it out to the different podcast players for streaming. You need to decide whether you're going to do an interview podcast or a solo podcast or a combination. Mine's a combination. And then you need to start recording. I definitely think that many people make it more complicated than it needs to be. I know I did. You can make it simple, you really can. You can turn on, you can download Audacity, that's a free audio software, turn on your mic, start talking, upload the file, and you're basically done. iTunes will require cover art, so you need to make you know a little logo for your podcast, but that's about it, that's about all you need. It doesn't have to be complicated. You, may,
2: you make it sound so easy. <laughs> you make all of this sound so easy. <laughs> Which I guess, I think it can be with the appropriate planning and... It's simple. It's simpler than we think. But most people are not
1: willing to have the perseverance that it takes. So for example, I can't tell you how many yoga teachers I have told to do these market research conversations. And most of them don't. Most of them maybe have a few and then say, oh, it's too hard to find people and give up. And, you know, depending on who your audience is and like who you're looking for, what your target market is, and who you're already connected to, it can, like that part can be the hardest part, just finding enough people to talk to. But it's simple. You just need to keep at it longer than most other people will. Got it. More persistence. I think because yoga is such a passion-oriented career, many people leave the corporate world, leave behind, you know, whatever they studied in college, they transition into yoga because they love it because it gives them joy and bliss. And then whenever they come across an aspect of being successful as a yoga teacher, that doesn't bring them joy and bliss. Then there's a disconnect there. And they're like, ah, oh, this isn't why I started this, but you, so you have to have a why you have to have a reason that is bigger than joy, like bigger than pleasure, bigger than I love teaching. You have to have a why, an intention, if you will, that drives you and keeps you going through when it gets tough.
2: Can I ask you what yours is? My
1: intention, my why right now is to support my family. So my husband um has been incredibly supportive of me and he has been working his entire life. He's 57 and I would he, he just he works so hard all the time and I would really like for him to be able to retire or semi-retire. And so that's that's my big why. Like we live a comfortable life, you know, like I don't have I guess in theory I wouldn't have to work, but I'm working my tail off right now. Because I want him to be able to enjoy his life more.
2: That's lovely. Yeah. I um, I love to hear that because I I feel like so often when it's talked, like when, when we talk about yoga teachers and having this career, it is all about, this is my passion. This is my joy. I love to do this. I want to help people. And like, yeah, sure. I subscribe to all of those as well. But it is so hard. <laughs> it is such a hard job and I don't think that that is talked about enough and I also don't think that it's talked enough about how it does it is a job it does bring in money it does have this uh, realistic perspective of it um, and the caretaking aspect of it not in not with anything having to do with yoga but with my family with my bills with my other things and it's really wonderful to hear that perspective from you as well that that is your why yeah i mean if it was just about serving people there's lots of different ways
1: to serve and i don't i agree with you i don't think yoga is the easiest way and for me honestly it's just it's i've just been doing this for so long that when i hit this point of like i'm really ready to step step it up this is what i know how to do (laughs) Like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I understand. And so this is my path. Like, I just have to follow the path that's in front of me. I, it doesn't make sense for me at this stage of my life to, you know, go back to school and try to become an accountant, for example, <laughs> you know. For that steady income. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And, um, you know, I mean, I love what I do too. That's the thing. I... Love working with yoga teachers. I, I understand yoga teachers. Like I get their pain. I I get their struggles. I get their joy and their fulfillment. So I can relate to them in a very deep way. And I love helping them because it's like I'm helping myself at an earlier stage of my life. You know. So joy and fulfillment is part of it for sure. But that's not the part that gets me through the tough moments.
2: Does that make sense? It absolutely does, yeah. I feel like that's addressing a lot that I feel that I haven't actually articulated or had been said. There's just like some weeks where things are a lot harder and I'm just kind of like, it'll be better next week or I won't get that yucky feedback or I won't have that student that gave me that glare or whatever it is. And I'm just like, oh, it'll always get better. But no, I think I could actually like address that. It is difficult and that there's, it's not just the happiness from doing it that allows me to continue with it, but there are bigger whys. So it definitely gives me something to think about. The
1: other reason for me is that yoga is a really great framework for learning and growing. And to me, that's where fulfillment comes from. A sense of fulfillment is first continuing always to learn and grow myself and then also holding space and facilitating and just being present for somebody else's growth too. So that it's not so much exactly about the joy of teaching yoga. It's more about the fulfillment of continuing to grow as a human.
2: You're speaking my language. (laughs) And looking at it that
1: way, that also helps us get through the hard times, right? Because if we're looking at it for joy and, and bliss and, and, you know, all these positive feelings, then the moment that the feelings aren't positive, we're going to think something's wrong. Whereas what I've learned is it's actually the moment where there's an, where you're having uncomfortable feelings that you're growing. And that's the moment that what you want is to run and hide and to quit and to just do anything else except this. But if you have a little bit of that wisdom and that perspective, then you can talk yourself down. You can say, Nope, this is what you signed up for. (laughs) This is, this is what you need. This is exactly your opportunity to live your values and to do what you set out to do, which is to become a more mature human. And if I were to become an accountant, I wouldn't get that same framework for my own growth. No? Yeah, no. I mean, maybe. <laughs> would I don't know. It wouldn't be the same.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And I completely agree. So do you feel like you got the questions that you came with answered? I definitely think that it's shifted. This conversation has shifted my thinking in a way where it's more tangible to look into the future. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Like the market research is a big, is a big thing that I have never really considered seriously. Mm. And if there's one thing that I wish
1: I could convince yoga teachers to do, it would be that market research.
2: Yeah. And even I think the synchronicity of having this conversation with you now and then the two students in the last week asking me for a very specific thing, like the universe is doing some work. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, now I know what that is. I have a name for that and I can do more of that and I can really build from that. So yeah,
1: thank you. you're so welcome. Thanks for coming with the great questions and being honest and being willing to share where you're at. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks. This is, uh, I think, an important step in my growth. Well, let us know on the
1: Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group after you do more market research and after you do that workshop and let us know how it all turns out.
2: I absolutely will. Awesome. (laughs) Bye, Paige. Bye.
1: Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many
0: listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are, and that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And I also want to give a huge thank you to the patrons of the podcast who contribute to the expenses on a monthly basis. If you're curious about deepening your connection to this community and becoming a patron, I hope you'll go to teachingyoga.net slash patron to find out about the different levels of contribution and all of the perks and benefits of becoming a patron. Every single month, I do an online training just for patrons of the podcast, and I also provide downloadable resources designed to help you take action on what you learn when you listen to the podcast. I'm so very, very grateful to have you as a listener. And I would be incredibly delighted and honored to also have you as a patron. Keeping these podcast episodes free from outside ads is really important to me, and the patrons of the podcast are what make that possible. Once again, the link to get all the details and to sign up is teachingyoga.net slash patron. And whether or not contributing to the podcast is something you're interested or is a possibility for you in this moment, I hope that you'll remember to center your own self-care and your personal practice this week, and I'll see you next week for another episode of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast.